Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Now, you're listening to the Red Sea Podcast. Red Sox fans have won. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. It's gone! It's into the bullpen! This game is tied! This game is tied! David Ortiz! David Ortiz! David Ortiz! Featuring Keaton DeRocher and Bob Osgood. Sale winds, he fires. Swing and a miss, right play, it's over! The Red Sox have won the world championship! Hello and welcome to episode 295 of the Red Seat Podcasts. I'm your host this week, Bob Osgood. And before we introduce our special guest, joining me as always is Jake Devereaux. Jake, what is happening with you on this rain-soaked Monday? Uh, not much, man. Uh, just excited to be here on podcasting. And uh, we, we've got a great guest today, so I'm very excited to be talking a little bit about the farm system because with the season, you know, kind of wrapping up here and the Sox not likely to be playing in October, um, you know, the biggest thing to look forward to is kind of what's going on at the farm right now. Yeah, exactly. We have really hammered home a lot of those things in recent weeks, so it's good to kind of get a fresh topic going here. So uh, joining us this week, you can find him on Twitter at Roto Clegg. He is the creator of the Dynasty Dugout website the co-host of the Toolshed podcast, a finalist for the IBWAA Baseball Writer of the Year, and the audio doppelganger for Matthew McConaughey, Mr. Chris Clegg. Thanks so much for joining us today. 
Well, that's quite an introduction. I really appreciate it and uh, really honored to be here, guys. I'm appreciative to, to chat with you both tonight, talk about the uh, Red Sox farm system. Should be a, a good one. Absolutely. Chris is, uh, without question, one of the hardest workers in prospect scouting. Um, I know that you've been contributing a little bit as well at uh, Sox Prospects. Um, very active on Twitter with a lot of your own um, you know, personal videos and, and content that you're creating. I know that anytime I'm doing the, the minor lines articles on our website, there's usually something from a Greenville drive game that, that you've been at, you know, in the last week or so to embed into those articles. So why don't you just kind of uh, elaborate um, just on what you're working on, what you've done recently. You know, I know you do some fantasy baseball content, but also uh, real life baseball, there's a little something for everyone in there, right? Yeah, for sure. And and that's really what I try to do is to, to bridge the gap between like real life baseball and fantasy, because I feel like that there's there's little in between. And so like you have a lot of, you know, fantasy baseball prospect people that are just just that like they they just lean on that the numbers and that side. But also you have the scouts who then I talk to scouts a lot who just care nothing about any data or analytics. It's just what they see with their eyes. And so I try to bring a little bit of blend of both. And so it makes it fun because I feel like I can cater to a wide variety of audiences with that. So you have obviously, you know, real life fans that want to know about their prospects and I feel like I can contribute there. And I started with the fantasy side too. So I've kind of um, grown into that role more and then I guess really evolved that role and doing more like scouting at the park. And so, you know, the last three years I've kind of just upped each year, like how much I'm at the park and, I think I counted yesterday because the regular season's done. We'll have one playoff game here in Greenville on Thursday, maybe one on Friday if game three is necessary. But over 40 games this year, which has been been really fun to wow. just see and you know, be a part of. And you know, it's mostly Greenville, but also if Greenville's on the road, I'll trip over to Columbia, see some single A action, and even go to AAA if there's somebody of interest. Like you know, I saw AJ Smith Shaver's first AAA start. And his only AAA start before he got called up. And they've been over there to see like Norfolk, who is just the Orioles AAA has been absolutely loaded. So yeah, it depends on who's there, but mostly most of my games are here. In Greenville, as I do contribute to Sox prospects, uh, thanks to Ian Cundell, who I connected with actually in a dynasty league. I think we're all in, in 30 Rock. I connected with Ian in 2020. That's right. A lot of and, connections there. Yeah. And so I've built a lot of my connections through that, which is cool. Um, and you know, they needed somebody in Greenville that was here. And so I was like, Hey, <laughs> I live 10 minutes from the stadium and I love going to the game. So I'll be glad to help you guys out. So yeah, I contribute with their scouting reports and, uh, video and all that stuff. So it's been really fun. And you know, yeah. I said, he got my own thing, the dynasty dugout, which is a wide variety of, uh, fantasy content, dynasty content, you know, prospect, whatever you want. I kind of try to do it all there. So, yeah. And, uh, you know, I have a subscription there. There's a lot of just great original content and just access you know i know you have some access to the batted ball data and some of those things that you know not everybody is able to see uh, there's a great discord and uh, always available to answer questions about prospects within the discord too so there's a lot going on in there um but i figured we would kind of start um before we get into a couple of players who have been promoted aggressively recently within the Red Sox system. But, you know, at a high level, we wanted to discuss the recent trend of teams being more aggressive with their prospects in general. And, 
you know, for me, I think that has to be a good thing for the game. It creates interest in younger players. And, you know, I think it's a bridging the gap between the drafts in the NBA and the NFL, where you see those players right away in the first year, NHL as well. And in MLB, you, you see that the player was drafted, and a lot of times it's four, five, six years before you see them up with the organization. Um, what do you think has led to the change in philosophy, both with promotions to the major leagues a little bit earlier in the last couple of years and some of the ones that we're seeing in the minor leagues uh, with a couple of Red Sox players we're going to talk about? Yeah, I think there's a couple factors that are going on here. And one, you saw the change in the CBA where now there's incentive to push prospects up and get them in the major sooner because there's draft pick compensation. Like we saw the Mariners received an extra draft pick that they were able to use to get Ty Pete this year, who's a really talented prospect, because they pushed Julio Rodriguez last year. Started the year with the team. He won Rookie of the Year. Therefore, they were compensated with a pick. And so I think the second factor is we've seen uh, farm systems being cut down a bit. We don't have short season ball anymore. And so it's more the fact that you have, especially with your talented players, like several that we'll talk about here, they're just head and shoulders above everybody at the lower levels. And I'll tell you, they're some really bad baseball in single A, and it gets a little better in high A where I mostly cover. But, man, when I've gone over to Columbia, there's just, yeah, golly, it's some, some rough baseball. And so yeah. your guys that are just head and shoulders above everybody are going to get pushed because they just don't belong. And that's kind of been the case that we've seen with two of the guys like Kyle Teal and Roman Anthony, like we'll talk about, because they're just head and shoulders better than everybody at their level. Even for Anthony at a young age, which you know just turned 19, he's been absolutely stellar this year. But I think that in general, it's been great for the game just to see prospects being pushed. And now, especially with the draft pick incentive tied in, so now what you're seeing is you're seeing a lot of guys get promoted in September. They're going to get their cup of coffee. They're going to get their experience and their feet wet in the major leagues. And then these teams are going to roll them out right out of spring training next year because there's that draft pick tied. They're still going to have the prospect eligibility. They'll still be eligible for Rookie of the Year awards. And they've already got their feet wet in the majors. There shouldn't be as much of a learning curve. Or you'll just be like the Angels who promoted Nolan Shanuel within like less than a month after drafting him, which is wild, but and Zagnado earlier in the year. Yeah. It's crazy, but it's been it's been great for the game, I think. The growth of the game, seeing the young stars coming up sooner is just great for the game of baseball. Yeah, I think you raise a good point that there's two different spots where that can happen. You know, there's a better chance that players are gonna make the opening day roster and not the excuse of going down to work on their defense, which always just happened to be about 17 days, like r right on the, you know, when, when you were able to get that extra year of control, but also the year before, like you said, it's 130 at-bats or 50 innings um, before you lose your rookie eligibility. So you can go right up to that. We saw it in Boston last year with Casas getting the call in September. You wonder whether he would have been a late April call this year uh, and still kind of has a puncher's chance at the rookie of the year and compensation that you mentioned, so. I think those are all really good points. Um, lead, so I guess leading that into Kyle Teal, uh, we'll start off with him. He's the 14th overall pick out of the University of Virginia and had a very quick three-game stop in the complex league. And then the Red Sox gave Teal an aggressive assignment right to high A Greenville, uh, where you mentioned your 
located near and uh, he just had 14 games at the level but you were able to get plenty of looks at him in that time and I know the video that kind of blew up in recent weeks was you posted something of it was a pitch that was you know down and away uh, he ended up having a 1.9 second pop time on a pitch that just he had no right throwing the runner out and you said you know you couldn't see the view at second base but the runner was out easily and it was just a different throw that you you don't really see um you know, specifically at the low level levels of the minors. So some of the scouting reports having his defense ahead of the bat, is that what you've seen as a carrying tool? Or do you think that his hit tool will be right there with his defense? I think he's well-rounded enough to be able to do all things extremely well. And so the defense obviously stands out. And, you know, I've, I've gotten lucky to see some incredible throws. Like you said, it was he was had two series in Greenville – they were at home, but that that shot I got, it was honestly just really lucky because I was getting, I, I wanted an open face shot of, of Jet Williams swing who for, of the Mets. And so I go down to the side, like I've always got my cameras, like I, I have three cameras running like all times in the stadium. But like I took my like good camera down. It's like, okay, I want to get a good look at the swing. And then of course it was just the the play that Teal just, you know, it was beautiful you know, catch and throw, right. off balance, incredibly athletic. But I also have several others where he was throwing guys out. Like his first game in Greenville, he threw out a guy. And I don't, I, I've clocked it time and time and time again. And it was around the 1.8 range. I got anywhere from like 1.75 to like 1.85, which was just insanely impressive. And that was only like a clean pitch. This this pitch on the video that, that went viral was, it was a slider low and away. Like it wasn't out in the dirt, but it was off the plate. It was almost in the the bat in the batter's box for for lefties, and this is a righty that was up. And so Teal goes down and gets the ball off balance throw, and he just, he knows he has him out. Like he walks, he just walks it off, and the runner was out by a step and a half easily. Right, so. he was doing like you know the the Jordan follow through <laughs> walk away after he had released it pretty much. Yeah, the bats, and I mean for for one point nine, you're you're talking about it would be a top. 10 top eight um in the major leagues for pop times you know the best one that we see this year is israel muto at 1.83 and you've seen a lot in the 1819 range already which is just incredibly impressive yeah so the gloves there's no doubting that he's a good receiver he's a good framer and i think people have questioned like how necessary will the framing be but i'm kind of in the camp that i don't think we see the abs the automatic ball strike system implemented like full go, I think we probably see the challenge system, which has been much more successful in AAA. The the ABS system has its faults, and there's so much that goes into it. So I think the challenge system is a uh, it's probably what we see. And framing will matter then for sure. And Teal's a great framer, obviously great arm, great pop. He's just a leader. He's highly athletic. You see that behind the plate constantly, and and, and even with the bat. I mean, we're talking about a guy that's running contact rates near 80 percent right now. So very solid. He's disciplined. Like he's gonna wait for his pitch. He's walked as much as he struck out. And obviously, like for a hitter that was his caliber of a college hitter, like sure it might be kind of expected. But you know he's gone up to Double A and he's performed. He had a hit in every Double A game last week. And that performance hasn't stopped. So I mean we're looking at like a eight game hitting streak at this point. Like he's on absolute fire even after the promotion to Double A. I think the biggest question is like where does the power land? And ultimately, like, I don't know. Like, right now, I've seen a lot of gap power. I, we, I'm, we haven't seen a home run in full season ball, only in the complex. But I still think, like, you're looking at, like, average game power, like 
solid EVs, like solid enough to be like average game power. But with everything else he does so well, like I think you're looking at a potential above average to plus hitter with with a really good plate discipline and the athleticism just allows everything to play up. So I, I am comfortable saying that Teal is the Red Sox catcher of the future and and will be for a long time. I mean, this is a special talent that fell in their lap at their pick at 14 overall. Just very impressive. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Yeah. I think I know the answer in terms of uh, if, whether you think that the quick promotion was the right move. I guess that would be my first question, but also how that might affect his ETA because I'd been thinking 2025, uh, but his track seems like it could be shot up to 2024 if he continues to handle the aggressive assignments as well as he has. I mean, he's six for 17 with five walks already. So he's been on base 11 times and 22 appearances since moving up to double A last week. And, you know, as a left-handed hitter, it would be interesting within a year or so um, if he could kind of be a platoon with Connor Wong. It sounds pretty good to me as early as next year. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, he I'm pretty comfortable saying he's starting in Portland next year. I think that's why they went ahead and brought him and Anthony up because they're just they're going to go ahead and get some experience there, and they're going to both likely begin there next year. But the stay may be pretty short, especially for Teal. We've seen how quickly they've promoted him from complex, skipping single A, and then through Greenville already. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we see him up in July or August, honestly. I mean, he's certainly going to go to AAA. And, you know, how long he stays is probably based on his performance. But we've seen so much that I feel like he is doesn't have too much work to do to perform at the major league level. Like, there's so much polish and athleticism here that's going to work. So, yeah, I, I think the expectation should be 2024 at this point. Probably not early, but... Late 2024, yeah, I could certainly see it. All right. Now, switching gears from um, Teal here, I want to talk about Roman Anthony because whenever I think of Roman Anthony, I actually think about the fact that um, before anybody was really touting him, he was kind of your guy, Clegg. Um, I remember you talking about him in the chat at 30 Rock, um, and you know, so far, everything that he's done has just really exceeded uh, even the wildest expectations that I had for him. Um, you know, he's been incredible. Uh, he started off the year uh, in low A um, and wasn't performing all that well by a numbers perspective. I mean, he only had one home run there. 11 stolen bases, was hitting 228. 
Um, but then he got the promotion to Greenville. And when he got to Greenville, all of a sudden, you know, he started to just explode 12 home runs at that level. Uh, 294, 412, 369 slash line with a 164 WRC plus. He was just absolutely incredible at that level. Uh, and I think that surprised a lot of people just because he hadn't performed at the lower level. Um, but, you know, one of the things that uh, Ian has talked about on the Sox Prospects podcast was just the fact that he was almost getting a little bit too passive uh, down at Loe uh, because of you know, the wildness that you kind of hinted at, the ugly baseball that was played down there. So um, obviously going up there, he had a lot of success. So I wanted to just get your take on what particularly made him so successful up at high A and what type of traits did you see there uh, that have allowed him to kind of blossom into this top prospect that he's become? Well, I think that that's absolutely right. I think that he has a better eye than most umpires do. And we see that inconsistencies with not only pitchers at lower levels, but also umpires. And he's been rung up on some pretty bad calls that I've seen. Just, you know, poor pitches that's like not even close to the strikes on. And he knows they're not strikes. And, you know, they certainly aren't. But umpires will call them that at lower levels. And so I think that was the case while he, you know, you could say that he kind of struggled a bit in single A. Not really struggled, but, you know, it wasn't, he wasn't returning what you might have hoped for. But, you know, I, you look back, and I was really high on him after they drafted him just because his high school data was pretty impressive. This was a very solid athlete, a physical specimen with great size. You listed at 6'3", great athlete. You look, the batted ball data was extremely good. Like, his exit velocities in high school were, you know, the peak of his class. And even his 60-yard, his like, dash was incredible, like, looking at like a, a 6 five sixty, which was really, really solid, and upper tier is class two. And so I kind of attached to that. I was like, okay, like, I think this guy's got something here. And so I saw, I first saw him in single A when they were, they came to Columbia, and, you know, I had to go over there and check him out, and Luis Perales and a couple of the other guys that I wanted to see um, on that Salem team. And immediately off the bat, like, it wasn't Anthony's bat that impressed me. It was his glove in center field. Like, he moves so well. He has incredible jumps. He has great, you know, path to the ball. Like, his reads are incredible. And all the reports said, like, he probably doesn't play center field. But I've seen enough Roman Anthony at this point to say that this is a plus center fielder. Like, I think his weakest asset is probably his arm, but it's fine. It's like, it's fine. He can stick in center field. He makes plays that most center fielders aren't making. Now, we're not talking like Sadan Rafaela you know, gold glove center field, but this is a really solid plus center fielder, in my opinion. So how quick he is, how well he moves, the jumps he gets, the reads he gets, all of that. I mean, that impressed me off the jump. But then also the physicality and the athleticism that you see, just he's the guy that when he gets off the bus, you're like, okay, this guy's, this guy's got it. Like, he just looks like an athlete. And that's certainly the case, and that's what I've seen, you know, in Greenville. It's, it's funny because so many people seem concerned that he goes opposite field so much for home runs, which is just bizarre to me. Like, does he go opposite field too much? Like, he doesn't pull. Like, I've seen the dude pull home runs that have gone 450. Like, he, he has plenty of power. Like, I don't think there's any denying the power. The field of hit is really good. I mean, we're talking, like, you know, easily plus zone contact skills. And overall, contact skills are really good, too. I will say that 
there seemed to be a book out on him, you know, the last few weeks before he was promoted to Portland, and it was against breaking balls. He didn't, like, he just mashed fastballs, and he waited on his pitch. But those last couple weeks, I saw him get breaking balls for every pitch. Like, legit, there would be, he would get four at-bats, he'd get one fastball the whole game. And it was interesting, pitchers were like, hey, like, just hit it. And he did go through some struggles, and the data is, eh, against breaking balls. But again, we're talking about a young 19-year-old that does so many things well that I'm not particularly worried about the struggles with spin yet because he bounces back, and his la- like last week, his last series in Greenville, he looked like his dominant self again. And I saw him hit some breakers, like he looked really good. And so those had kind of gone away. Yeah, he's going to struggle against breakers. He's going to struggle against lefties. He's talked about that, the adjustment period that he had to go through against lefties because he just didn't face them. Good lefties he didn't face in high school or at the lower levels. And so now, like, facing the more, I don't say more dominant lefties, but better lefties, like, and better spin, like, better curveballs, like, there's an adjustment for this. But I truly believe that Anthony's the kind of bat that will adjust, and I think that this is just a well-rounded player that's going to be extremely solid in all aspects of his game. Two things I want to ask you about to follow up there. Um, you, know, you mentioned the center field defense being really good, and you know I've heard that from other people as well. Um, but w- with a guy in the organization like Sedan Rafaela, obviously you're going to play him in center field if you have the option. You know, with Roman Anthony's one quote unquote weakness being like the the arm, and I don't even know how weak an arm it really is, but you know. F- Fenway's right field is pretty cavernous out there, and you need to be a really good fielder to play right field at Fenway Park. So do you think right field could ultimately end up being his position? Yeah, I mean, he plays such great defense that I think that's the case. And when I say the weakest aspect of his game is his arm, like that's no knock on him because I, I think that we're looking at like above average to plus contact and you know, plus power, and he's, I've clocked him plus run times all year. And the glove, I think, the center field glove is, is arguably plus. And so, like, an average arm will play there. And I think you, like you said, you need a really solid right fielder. And I think that Anthony could bring that to the table and be a great complement to Rafaela in center. So the the other thing here is the strikeout rate at, at uh, high A, 30.6%. What's going on there? Because he's clearly making – uh, really good contact. His slash line's still awesome. Is it just simply the fact that he's kind of being so aggressive and he wants to just, you know, hit the ball every chance he gets? Or is it simply just the learning curve with the breaking balls? What's going on? I think it's more the passivity. A lot of his strikeouts early on were just called strikes. Like, he's too passive. And that was the case at low A. And now I think we saw it again in Greenville. I really didn't see much of the breaking ball swing and miss until like the last few weeks. And that was you know, something that he just wasn't swinging at. But when he began getting like nothing but breaking balls, like he really had no choice because he was pressing a bit to try to put the ball in play. And you can almost say like, I don't say he went through a slump, but I feel like he did go through a little bit of a slump there, like mid to early August. But he bounced back like rather strong. And you look and like, the end zone contact numbers are so good and the overall contact numbers are good. And that's what I've told people. Like, don't worry about the strikeout rate here because we're looking at somebody who made zone contact on 86% of pitches in 
uh, single A, and then 83% of pitches in Greenville. So very solid. Like, he's not missing you know, anything in the zone. He's really not chasing all that much. Like, we're looking at sub-20% chase rates, which are elite numbers. Like, that's Juan Soto-esque. So not chasing at all. He's, I mean, absolutely obliterates the ball when he makes contact. Like I said, spin numbers, eh, they're, they're not what you want to see. Like, his OPS against lefties, not all that great, but it, it's all made up for the fact that, you know, he's selective, he chooses his pitches, and he's doing the damage when he does swing the bat. And so, you know, I'm not particularly worried about that strikeout rate because I think a lot of it was passivity, and a lot of it ultimately just went in. He wasn't getting those fastballs. Like, he was just being a bit more aggressive with the breakers. And he just wasn't getting pitches to hit. And he was chasing. He chased a little more. But still, those chase rates are still very, very good. Yeah, and I mean, the, the kid's 19. He's still got so much room to grow. And we've already yeah. seen how quickly he's adjusted to each level. So, yeah, I, I'm with you. I'm really bullish on Roman Anthony. I wish I had listened to you from the jump and gotten more shares of him early in all the leagues that I'm in. But, um, you know, can you get people hyped up with a, a little bit of a comp uh, for Roman Anthony? <laughs> what type of player do you think that he could be on the higher end? Are we talking about like a Kyle Tucker type player or... You know, how good can this guy actually be? I'm pretty bad with player comps, and I uh, I typically try to avoid just because of the expectation. Like we, like you see with Jason Dominguez, like the crazy expectations. I have heard the Tucker thing thrown out a lot, which is actually fairly interesting because y- there are some similar traits. And, yeah, I'm not sure Anthony runs as much as Tucker does, like on the base pass, but he's capable. Like, I've got the clock times that, that are easily plus or I've got I've got some home to first that are better than plus honestly like he's just been he's really quick on those balls when he needs to be and so he I think he's capable like if he wants to steal like he's gonna steal the power's there the field of hits there um, I don't know like I'm not the best player comp guy and so I hate to like kill the vibe like with because I know that's what people <laughs> get hyped on yeah. I'm telling you like we're I think you're looking at above average to plus field to hit you're looking at plus power and you're looking at you know plus speed as well so that's the that's a stellar player, and that's somebody that should you should get excited about. And yeah, I think that he's a top twenty prospect in all of baseball pretty easily at this point. So I, I thought it was some... you that compared uh, Mickey Mantle to Jason Dominguez, or was that someone else? <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, I didn't start that one. Right. <laughs> you you stole my my joke. I was going to say, so you heard it here that uh, he's going to be the next Ted Williams. <laughs> Um, I think kind of the biggest news of the last week has to do with Marcelo Meyer, and he's going to be shut down for the rest of the season with a shoulder injury. Um, This is a year after he missed a month with a wrist injury, and he was in an interview with Rob Bradford over the past few days where he said that the shoulder injury occurred on May 7th. Uh, he He fell running the bases and in the moment didn't realize that he was hurt, and then I think he had a week or two off and then tried to play through it for the whole year. And you, know, we, you referenced Ian. He had a, a tweet from May 7th and before. Uh, Meyer had hit 337 with a 414 OBP, 582 slug, and had a 21.6K percentage. And then after that date, he hit 190 with 256 OBP, 366 slug, and a 25.5% K rate. So a huge difference. And I think part of it is that he was at two different levels but part of it also is that he had an injury in early may but they're kind of piling up a little bit uh during his time at greenville chris he was at a 290 average 366 obp 524 slug 
and that was over 35 games. He had seven homers, 34 RBI while he was at Greenville. So, you know, on the offensive side of things, what did you see from Meyer? I know the fans in this market kind of hoping that he can live up to that fourth overall pick in the draft when he was in the conversation to go one. Yeah, so there's been mixed reviews. Like, I've had games where the bat doesn't look all that great and games where it does. And the glove, spectacular. I mean, dude's as polished of a shortstop as, as you'll see, especially for his age. And, you know, when he came up last year and last summer when he – I mean, he was extremely polished for, for the age and, you know, what he could do in the field. And, you know, really solid arm as well. But with the bat – I had a lot of disappointing moments with him where he would roll over a lot of balls and just you know, ground out to first base. And, you know, there were moments where I was like, man, I really have concerns about this bat. And honestly, like, it showed a bit last year. Like, his data was not all that great last year. You you look, and this was 2022, and, you know, it does get better. So, you know, don't be too mad at me. But last year, the zone contact was 77.5%, which is – not great, and his overall contact rate was seventy or sixty-seven point five percent, which is not good at all. Now he hit the ball hard, like his ninth percentile EV last year was near one hundred four, which is actually above major league average, and he was doing that last year as a nineteen-year-old, which was pretty impressive. But the billing on him coming out of high school was that he was a pure hitter, and there was that power projection. So it was interesting to me that you know, I kind of saw the opposite right off the bat. But I will say the numbers on. Meyer this year were much better, especially before the injury. We saw that ninth percentile EV take a huge step forward. I mean, it was a mile and a half hour jump, which is, is significant. And the contact skills you know, massively increased too, which is is what we want to see. Now, we're talking about somebody that doesn't chase all that often, which is certainly what you want to see, a patient hitter with contact. And so we saw you know, some ups and downs there, but... You know, prior to the injury, he was running an 81% zone contact, uh, 73% overall contact, and 29% chase. So that was a step forward from last year, which is what you wanted to see. And he was getting to more power. And so there were steps forward. But you have to – I mean, the numbers are clear. Like, shoulder injury has been bothering him all, all year. And so you almost have to excuse part of the season with him. And so the splits are obvious. I don't know. I've, I've had mixed reviews. The gloves certainly – there i think he's going to play shortstop and be a really solid shortstop for the Sox long term people have questioned like could he outgrow the position i don't believe so i think he's athletic enough where he'll be fine i mean he's he's absolutely incredible with the glove and so i'm not particularly worried about that um but i i don't know the bats gave me mixed concerns and I ultimately think that roman anthony is the best player in the system which isn't popular like i think most people would still say that marcella mayer was but I, I do believe that Roman Anthony is, and honestly, I may say Kyle Till's the second-best player in the system. Wow. And that's not a knock on Marcella Meyer at all. I think he's a great player. But the others have just performed at such a high level. And then you factor in the injuries of what he's what Marcella Meyer's dealt with, and you know it does give some concerns there. I still think this is a top 50 overall prospect pretty easily, and maybe even a bit higher than that. But that just shows how high I am with what I've seen on Roman Anthony and Kyle Till. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. 
So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I agree with you, Clegg. I've, I've been thinking the same thing um, just because I've been a little bit unimpressed with some of the data from uh, Marcelo Mayer. And, and it seems like, you know, Roman Anthony is just answering every possible question. We talked about the defense the hitting side of things, the fact that he's been super young at every level. I mean, 19 in double A, it's uh, it's hard to argue with a guy putting up those results on both sides of the ball, not being the best prospect in the system at this point. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm right there with you. And I think that I think by the offseason, we may see that as a more common take, but it hasn't been. And that's kind of been the camp I've been in since I first saw Roman Anthony when he came up to Greenville. That's kind of kind of where I've been. It's, I know it wasn't popular, but I think it will be at least more popular by next season. Well, I mean, Jake, I don't know what you think, but th- you know, this is the third time we've kind of had almost a pump-the-brakes vibe with Marcelo Meyer. I mean, Jeff Ponce was on. He gave us a Jimer Candelario comp, and Ian compared him to Brandon Crawford. I'm not going to ask you to give us anyone else, uh, Chris, <laughs> but, I mean, do you think that those are reasonable? Is he more closer to that range? You know, because I think that... Overall, that would be a disappointment for people that are expecting, you know, Anthony Volpe and Marcelo Meyer to be coming up both by 21, 22 years old and be, you know, Nomar and Jeter for the next 10 years. It's I don't think it's going to be that. Yeah, well, Crawford, I don't think it's terrible because his gloves really, I mean, Brendan Crawford, if you remember, has won a lot of gold. I mean, four gold gloves. He's won right. a silver slugger. I mean, three-time All-Star. He's defensive player of the year several times. And so I think that's what you're getting in the field with uh, Marcelo Meyer is just a really solid glove. And I think if he won four gold gloves, then Red Sox fans should not be upset at all. We also forget that Crawford's had some pretty good seasons with the bat too. I mean, the batting average, probably I would say that Meyer gives you a little better you know, average. Crawford's been a career like 250 hitter with 319 OBP. And he's a sub-400 slug, which I think we see, you know, more from Ant- or from Meyer. But I think that Meyer is a 20-25 home run bat. I don't think he steals many bases, but that's not really the expectation that you should have on him anyway. And it all depends on the contact skills. Because like I said, the contact skills weren't good last year. Uh, this year took a step forward. Where will they settle in? And I think it's the biggest question. So I don't think the Crawford comp's terrible. And I know that Sox fans won't like that. But we forget that... Brandon Crawford's been a pretty good player for most of his career, and I right. think that Marcelo Meyer has a better bat than that too. So, you know, maybe a step up uh, with the bat. So, that's I won't say that's terrible. Um, yeah, I'd be, I'd be happy with a, a Brandon Crawford comp, but um, I like Brandon Crawford a lot as a player. So, yeah, that would that would be okay by me. Um, but I, I want to touch on a player here in Sedan Rafaela that uh has just elite contact skills and uh you know that's kind of carried him through the system so far along with his elite defense um but really immature approach for him uh, in terms of the fact that he 
swings at a lot of pitches he probably shouldn't swing at. That's been the knock on him for a while. Uh, it seems like when the Red Sox have talked to him about kind of making better swing decisions, he gets in a little bit of a funk. He almost seems like a player who needs to kind of have that swing. Um, but, you know, what are your thoughts on him? He's obviously performed really well at AAA, performed really well. He's performed very well at the big leagues so far, um, but he also is carrying a 40% strikeout rate. So, like, can this type of profile work in the big leagues? You know, I thought that he would really slump moving up to AA and AAA, but it was kind of never the case. He's a player... In all honesty, going into opening day 2022, I had no clue who Sedan Rafaela was. And I don't think most people did. And I remember that opening series against Hudson Valley, him just doing some nutty things. Like, he made throws. Like, he, I remember he threw out Trey Sweeney by, like, Sweeney was going from first to third on a ball in the gap. And Rafaela, it was like the, the right center gap. And Rafaela, like, had the ball to third base by, like, Sweeney wasn't even halfway from second to third. It was insane. And then you factor in all, like, he's a plus shortstop. He's probably a 70 center fielder. And then the bat, like, okay, this guy can do things. Like, he's stealing bases. Like, he's putting the ball in play, like, spraying the gaps. And I remember I remember when everybody kind of, like, started to get on the bandwagon was when they went to Asheville for a series, and he had six home runs in a week, which Asheville is, like, one of the biggest band boxes in minor league baseball. And so, you know, the power, certainly not six home runs in a week power, but he does have juice in the bat. Like, he has enough to – to be a power speed threat, but you're right. Like I really thought that the chase rate would catch up to him. I mean, it was obvious from the eye test that he swung at everything. And then I, when I got all the batted ball data last year, it was, I mean, we're talking a 56% swing rate in 2022 with a 41% chase rate, which most players that chase at a 41% rate don't make it. And yet somehow Raphael has continued to move up and perform. I was honestly a bit surprised by this, that he was able to continue that success and the numbers were like identical this year too as he continued to move up. He's still chasing at a 42% clip this year, but I will say he's counteracted by the fact that he makes so much zone contact, like it kind of works. Now, are big league pitchers just gonna not throw him in the zone? Yeah, it's highly possible because I mean, this year in minors, 84% zone contact, but when you're swinging at everything out of the zone, you may just not get pitches to hit. But I do think that if there's a player that can make this work, it's probably Sedan Rafaela, which is bizarre because I I really didn't think he could make it work with the bat. But here we are. You know, he's in the majors at 22. And surprisingly, you know, so despite the strikeout rate you mentioned, he's, he's making decent contact. And he's not chasing as much. I know we're talking a small sample. But you know, the power speed are really fun here. And this is you know a gold glove center fielder as well. So Rafaela's a really fun player. What is the slash line going to have to look like for him to – uh, you know, still be a positive player? Like, how bad can he hit at the plate and still positively impact the team in center field? I mean, I projected him to, like, be a 240-type hitter. Like, with what I saw in Greenville last year, I was like, okay, like, probably looks like a 240 guy at the the next level. And, yeah, I mean, he hit, then that was, like, controversial because he hit 330 in Greenville last year and was insanely dominant. And so I was like, oh, he's so much better than that. I was like, I don't know. Like, I think there's some some swing and miss issues here. And we kind of saw him get exploited a bit as he went to double-A last year. As he got called up, he returned to Portland, looked really good, and it was even better in triple-A this year, which is crazy. So, you know, I really do 
think you're looking at maybe a 240, 250 hitter. But I do think that that'll play, all things considered. And, and you think about it now, like the Major League average, and people probably scoff at that, the Major League average is sub 250. So, like, you know, if you get a 250 hitter with everything else he brings to the table, like, that's a solid player. I think everybody's expectations on all these prospects now are way too high. And so, like, they probably look at Sedan Raphael if he hits 250 and you know, hits 15 home runs and steals 30 bags and says, oh, he's a disappointment. But I would say that's like a highly impressive player considering the gold glove caliber center field that he plays and the arm that he has and everything that he brings to the table. So if the hit tool is a 40, then okay, like you can live with that because everything else is is really solid. I mean, the player you just described to me sounds like at least a three-war player. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, he's going to impact the game so much with his legs in the field. that Yeah, I mean, it's highly realistic that we're looking at that. And if that's the case, nobody should be disappointed no matter what his bad average is. Is he good enough to start for this team in center field next year? Yeah, 100%. I mean, I, I don't know what else he has to prove in the minors with the bat. He has nothing to prove with his glove. But I think he should be the everyday center fielder for the foreseeable future. The glove's that good. The arm's that good. And the bat, I don't, I don't know what else you have to prove in the minors at this point. So, yeah, I'm, I'm firmly in the camp that he should be the everyday center fielder moving forward. Seems like with Raffaella that, you know, some of the numbers can be deceiving in terms of his strikeout percentage because when he's, he's chasing – but making contact at a, a bad ball that you put in play isn't always a good thing. And um, yeah, I forget where I was reading it earlier in the week, but you're almost better to, to swing and miss than to make weak contact and roll something over there. So um, that, you know, I know it's been mentioned that that might have been a little bit deceiving on his strikeout percentage, and it will be interesting to see whether that carries over to the big leagues as well. Um, all right, we were going to move on to three pitchers and Jake has told me that I have a one month uh, moratorium on talking about your Donnie Monegro so I'm going to leave that to him and we'll start with Luis Perales. Um, You posted last week uh, one of his outings and I think overall the stats weren't that great but he did still have a ton of whiffs. You know he had 15 whiffs, 35% CSW for called strikes plus whiffs he was throwing up to 96. You mentioned his cutter, change-up slider. Um, you know, that overall it was mixed results. But we've talked to, you know, a couple of scouts on here who have thought that he has as much uh, upside as any pitcher in the organization. So if you left his starts more concerned about the volatility with the walks and he's got a pretty high home run rate, I think he's given up eight homers and eight starts there, uh, or are you encouraged by the upside with all of the the whiffs that he's had in those starts or a little bit of of both so i think that especially with pitchers at the lower level it's much more like process over results and i think that you often see that with pitchers who are working through things and we forget that especially with guys that are you know working on different pitches and you know he's working on a cutter like the cutter's a a new pitch he's added like He's throwing a slider, and he, you know, he used to throw a curveball. Like, he's working on things. I think that sure. Luis Perales is the best pitcher in the system, and I'm not sure it's all that close, in my opinion. And I know that's controversial. We're going to talk about another one that I think most people probably have at the top of the system. But seeing both those guys five times this year, 
I'm putting aside the performance with Luis Perales and saying that the stuff, yeah, and I, I don't know. I mean, I think you can argue stuff for this other pitcher, and we'll talk about shortly, um, but there's other issues there. But Perales, the fastball is incredible. I mean, since 95, 94, 95, up to 96, and I, I sat in the, the booth for just an inning to get all the TrackMan data of his, and the dude's running, like, induced vertical breaks of 18-plus inches, which is absolutely high end. Like, elite major league arms are 20 to 20. Like, Garrett Cole's, like, 21. Like, that's, like, elite of the elite. And we're seeing Perales. I saw Perales up to 18, which is just absurd. Like, the fastball is really good up in this arm. The problem with Perales' fastball is the command comes and goes with it. So when he's locating it well up, he's getting the results. When he's missing, like, he's missing. Like, last start against uh, Brooklyn, like, he threw a lot of non-competitive pitches with the fastball and was walking guys, just not ideal. You mentioned the home runs, like, yeah, those are coming on just missed pitches. And I think those things can be worked through, but Prowse is a really good pitcher with a, a true four-pitch mix. And I will say in the first start, when I went to see him when he was in Salem, I only saw two of those pitches. I, I think he threw the changeup like once. But he added the cutter. The cutter's really good. It's inconsistent, but it's just a short horizontal break that's 88 to 91. I mean, he's got to locate it better. But I think it's a a potential average offering to add to, you know, a pretty solid you know, slider that he's got. And the slider's pretty advanced. He spins it well. When he snaps it off, like, it's a really good pitch. Sometimes it looks like a curve, but this is a slider. Like, we've we've talked to him. He, he calls it a slider. I think it's a, a plus pitch as well. So, you know, I really love Luis Perales. And despite what I've seen, the home run issues are certainly a red flag. And if people look at his Greenville numbers – they're probably running away. Like, but I'll hold my ground to say that Luis Perales is the best pitcher in the Sox system right now, in my opinion. How does he compare to other Red Sox pitchers that you've seen come through Greenville in the recent years? I mean, I know you've been going to the park for a while. I mean, is he up there with the best of the the arms that you've seen come through Greenville? Yeah, and I think that it has a it has something to do with the fact that the Sox system has not been that great for pitchers. So the best pitchers that we saw, I mean, Brian Bayo was certainly up there. Like Bayo did things that were just absolutely incredible. And, you know, he just destroyed high hitters with his changeup. And so Bayo's certainly up there. But you think about like uh, Shane Drohan, like and Drohan could be considered one of the better arms in the system. And I just don't think it compares. Like you look at Perales and I would say that, yeah, I would say since Bayo came through Greenville, Perales is probably the next best that I've seen come through Greenville. Wow. Uh, that's high praise. Um, I got to get to the next guy, though. You're Donnie Monegro, um, a guy who, you know, Bob has turned me on to here. Um, he kind of burst onto the scene this year. He wasn't really thought of as as a important prospect for the Red Sox uh, last year and you know this year he's done nothing but post ridiculous numbers a, a 120 ERA at the complex uh, 2.43 ERA at low A and then he's come up to Greenville and he's got a 1.8 ERA in 10 innings so far so you know what has changed with him this year that has kind of led to this success and what kind of pitcher are we seeing in Monegro? Well he pitches with a lot of intensity and he pitches with 
just a flare about him. Like he's on the mound and he knows he's going to dominate you. And you see that with the emotion that he pitches with. I was actually tipped off to him pretty early. I was uh, fortunate to talk talk to the Sox director of international scouting. He just happened to be in Greenville one day. We're just sitting chatting about arms and and all this stuff. And you know, he had, this is like early June, and so Manegro's pitched like one or two games at the complex. And he's like, "Have you have you seen him yet?" I'm like, "No, nah, like I haven't seen any of the guys like that aren't you know at least at Salem or Greenville live yet." And so he was like you need to keep an eye on your Donnie Manegro. He was like, this guy is a special talent. He's a dude. And so when he got promoted to Salem, like nobody talked about him. Nobody really knew who he was, but I was like, okay, like, all right, I got to watch this. And so his first start in Salem, dude struck out 11 over five innings, had like two hits, one walk. And I'm like, holy cow, like this dude is, is something. Like you just watch that curveball that – I mean, the 12-6 curveball is just absolutely just gut-wrenching. Like, nobody can touch it. I don't have all the data on it, but I'd guess that we're looking at, like, 60 inches of, of drop. Like, it's it's nasty. And he makes hitters just swing it. And sometimes it's interesting. He'll drop it in the top of the zone, too, for call strikes. It's kind of fun to watch. Like, he'll try to drop it in there and just, like, completely change the hitter's eye level, which is fun. The fastball, you know, is 94, 95. Like, seeing him get up past there as well. So... That's really fun too, and so, like, Monegro is another one I just got in really early on because, like, their director of international scouting is like, hey, you should be in on this guy, and so like I added him in in like some dynasty leagues before he even came up. It's like, all right, I'm see where it goes, and I added him in Thirty Rock, which is we have eighteen hundred players roster, so it's a pretty uh, deep player pool. But yeah, it's a very tall and lanky pitcher with a lot of projection left. He's very athletic. I mean, he just looks the part on the mound. He does a lot of things well. I think he's topped out at 96 when I've seen him this year and mostly sitting, you know, 94 to 95. It does take a step back, you know, later in innings, but he's still 93 to 94 in the fourth and fifth inning, which is fun to see. And it's worth, you know, kind of following along with there. The curveball is just an insane pitch. He's even throwing a slider. The slider varies shape, but the slider is 82 to 86. Uh, he showed it more in that last start against Brooklyn that Ian and I were both at. He, he threw that a couple times. I was like, dang, okay, I like this. And he throws a changeup that's 80, 89 to 91, which is, it needs some work. But, I mean, my thing is that the stuff's really good with Monegro, and he's still learning how to be a pitcher. But ultimately, I think there's some potential starter stuff here. I mean, there's good, high ceiling. Does he reach it? I don't know. There's a lot of projection. You know, what does he become? It's hard to say. But I really, really like what I've seen with, with your Donnie Monegro. He's, he's been a lot of fun. Are, are we talking a guy who could be like a fourth or a fifth starter here? Or does he have like a true mid-rotation ceiling? I think it depends on, you know, what develops of him. And, you know, I, this is another thing where I think people just go way too high. And, you know, I don't throw ace on any pitching prospect. Like, there's very few pitching prospects that would even have that upside. And we forget how good like an SP3 really is. And I would say that with Perales and Monegro, like you're probably looking at both those guys, like the 90th, 99th percentile outcome with them, maybe like a high in SP3, low in SP2. But like a moralistic outcome probably is like an SP4 with both these guys for varying reasons. I think Perales, like there's some interesting things like with his body. Like he's a smaller frame. Like can he handle the durability? 
And with Monegro, like, how does he figure out this whole pitching thing? Like, you know, he's got great stuff. He's got to learn how to pitch consistently and kind of hone in everything that he's got. So I would say that the upside is certainly there to be like a mid-rotation three, but I think your back-end starter is probably more likely until we see a little more. And we're talking about a young dude that's burst on the scene, so I don't want to go too high on him, but it is really exciting stuff. And I, I'll just put the caveat out there that most pro pitching prospects are relievers. So to project a pitching prospect as a starter at the lower levels, I think speaks a lot of volume about that pitching prospect. It's just it's not a knock on Perales or Monegro at all. These are two very good arms here that we're looking at. So Bob has been comparing him to Pedro Martinez on virtually every <laughs> podcast. So you know, I heard Adam Wainwright with that twelve to six curveball and six foot four. I think that's who you were making the comp to, right, Chris? I don't know. I mean, that'd be interesting. Like, I, I just when I think of Wainwright, like his fastball's so bad now. Like, I can't get that out of my head. And, I was, you know, like, totally kidding. But you're right. Oh, you mean the the pitch that? Um, so Chris is a Braves fan, but just you know. Full disclosure here, and uh, what was that about eighty-five and a half miles an hour that Ronald Acuna, Acuna hit yeah. the first pitch out the other day? Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was it's wild. One of the, it's, at least with Wainwright at this point in his career, one of the greatest mismatches I've ever seen was him pitching on the road in in Atlanta. Yeah, uh, so. and that's so. You, I'm glad you brought that up because I people have accused me of having Red Sox bias. I have zero Red Sox bias at all. I'm not a Red Sox <laughs> fan. I'm just a dude that scouts the system here in Greenville and yeah. enjoys watching their prospects. So I have zero bias in these guys. I've been accused of that a lot. Like, oh, you're biased towards them. I'm not a Red Sox fan, so hear that loud and clear. <laughs> Checks in the mail. <laughs> um, all right, so the last pitcher that I think you were alluding to a little bit, Weekelman Gonzalez, uh, since he's arrived at AA, nine starts, and he's 3-1 and one with a 2.28 ERA, which sounds good. He's got 58 strikeouts and 43 innings, even better. 25 walks in those 43 innings with only 22 hits. So the whip isn't terrible, but the walk rate really at every level um, has been pretty high. He's got a 14.8% walk rate at all of the levels combined this year, but also has a 36% K rate. So my question is just, can he stay on a starter's path with that kind of wildness? Uh, and I think it's important, and you noted earlier, just the age of these guys and that they're all working on different things. And I think Gonzalez's highs have been high and his lows have been lows. If you look at his game logs, he's just 21 years old. But, uh, you know, it just kind of really every level that he's been at has struggled with the control a little bit. Yeah, and so that's my worry. Like, the stuff... I was, you know, a little hesitant to say Prowse of the best stuff. I think Wickelman Gonzalez might have the best pure stuff when it's on in the system. And so when he's got everything going, like, you know, curveball's insanely nasty. The fastball's, you know, mid-90s. But I will say, like, the fastball also has taken step back, steps back, too, which is uh, a concern, like, throughout the starts I've seen. There, it's weird because there are starts where he stays you know, 93 to 95, the whole start. But I've also seen starts where he's 91 and 92 in the fifth. And it was surprisingly, or most interestingly enough, like the, one of the starts when I was talking to the Sox director of international scouting, that was a Wickelman start. And it regressed really bad. And we were talking, he's like, man, it just looks like reliever stuff. When Gonzalez is on, it's really good. I think it's sure. a, it's a coin flip of, you know, what do we get out of him? Like, 
is he a starter or reliever? And I think there's been, like, a start to start. Like, it, you look at the game logs, and that's kind of the case. It's exactly what I've seen when I've seen him, you know, start over start. It's just like, okay, like, which Wickelman Gonzalez will we get tonight? And sometimes it's really good, and sometimes it's it's not so much. But the highs are really good. The highs show a really solid potential and ceiling. But the lows scream reliever to me, and that's ultimately my concern here is that, you know, I don't know what we'll get out of him. I've seen the starts where he's, I mean, I said it starts where he was, you know, five scoreless with 10Ks, but also seven earned and 8Ks. The starts where he walked four or five guys. I was at the start when he walked seven guys earlier in the year. And so it's been such a mixed bag for me that I've really struggled to evaluate who Wickelman Gonzalez is. But when he's good, he's really, really good. And I think you can make an argument that he's in this tier of arms with Perales and Monegro for sure. If like, Top starters in the system. With a lot of these guys, though, even if they don't pan out as starters, I mean, it seems like we're talking about a a, a floor of like a leverage arm in the in the bullpen. So, I mean, that's a pretty good outcome too. If you can if you can get it, have a system of you know a bunch of Winkleman Gonzalez's, and if if they don't really pan out, I mean, you still got some late inning arms that you could probably use. Hundred percent, and the stuff's there. I mean, you throw those pitches that let's arsenal that Gonzalez has in the back of a bullpen, and I think he'll thrive. So, worst case, like he's got back end bullpen stuff, which is highly valuable. Yeah, definitely. Um, moving on to a couple of hitters here, a, a guy who I've been very curious about um, because you know I haven't seen him at all is Alan Castro, and I know that he's been a guy who. Uh, has performed pretty well down at Greenville. He you know, he had a slash line that was pretty impressive at low A, 247, 376, uh, 378. Um, not a ton of power there, but since he's been up to, to high A, he's been pretty solid. He's hit, hit 283, 355, 446 with four home runs and, and four steals. Um, what have you seen from Alan Castro? What type of player do the Red Sox have here? Yeah, he's interesting. I think he's really underappreciated for who he is. And honestly, when I went to see Salem play in May, this was a guy that really caught my eye. I didn't know anything about him, but he really popped off as like, okay, like you know, this isn't a sexy profile. But this is a, a really interesting profile that we have here with Alan Castro. Yeah, he's, he's not the best athlete in the world. I think he's a solid athlete, but not a standout one by any means. But at the plate, like, he does some things really well that I've really liked to see. I mean, the contact is there. Like, you see really solid contact skills. And right now he's showing gap-to-gap power. But we've seen him turn in some home runs, too. Like, he's got on some balls when I'm like, okay, like, there is a little juice in here. And there's definitely room in the frame, too. When I first saw him earlier in the year, he's 19. He turned 20 earlier in the year. You're looking at a body that still has some projection on it in my opinion, where I do think he could add power. We've seen him play all outfield spots, you know, all three so far. Seen him DH a little bit. The Greenville just kind of rotates, so he, he has done some DHing. But I do think that this is a serviceable player, and you know, I'm not going to project too much on him, but I think that Alan Castro could end up being like a some bench depth for the Red Sox. And while that's not what people normally want to hear, like for a player that nobody really knows about, like, Alan Castro is a pretty decent ball player, in my opinion. And I don't think he struggled all that much with the promotion. Like, 
he's done a lot of things well since being promoted. You know, putting the ball in play a ton. He's you know making a ton of contact, hitting for average, hitting for power, getting on base, and he's a sneaky source of speed too. Like, not the fastest runner, but he's got good instincts on the base paths, which is pretty encouraging. So, you know, Castro, I think that we need to see him move to Double A before I, I make we make any more like solid opinions on him. But right now, like this is a dude that I've been pleasantly surprised with who has done a lot of things well and I still think has potential and room for growth where we could see more at him. So certainly a name to keep an eye on. I think what you said is important. I mean, this is a, a guy that we didn't – I knew next to nothing about coming into the season, and you're saying that he has the potential to be uh, a bench player, you know, uh, on the high end. But that that would be a good outcome for, yeah. for someone that we didn't know a whole lot about. I mean, he was outside of the – top 35 in every list that I looked at before the season when I just needed to familiarize myself uh, with him when he was playing well when he first got up to Greenville he's fallen off a little bit the last week but you know I know that Eric Loggenhagen had said over at Fangraphs that he had advanced bat to ball skills from both sides of the plate liked his lefty swing a little bit more so I thought that was an interesting description and you know I think we'll see him kind of start to creep up near the top 20 in the system in this offseason. Yeah, I think that's fair. I haven't seen a lot of them from the right side, honestly. I mean, there's not a lot of lefty pitchers at the lower level, so most of what I've seen of them is from the left side. But I do like that swing a lot. I've got some good open face video on my Twitter. Like, if you search my handle and his name, like, you can see. It's a, it's a really good swing that I think people will like. Sure. Uh, let's just close out with two other names as we're creeping up on the hour mark here. So, uh, Blaze Jordan and uh, Brandon Bonassi. Um, starting with Jordan... I guess kind of for me, you know, he's continued to play a little bit of third base. Uh, he's still just 20 years old, even though he was drafted in that 2020 draft at such a, I believe, 17 when he was drafted. But the good thing has been, you know, just as somebody who's, who's, um, you know, the book on Jordan was that he's going to be a power hitting corner infielder, probably a first baseman. He's kept the K percentage down. You know, he got through. Greenville in 73 games this year at just a 14.6% K rate, and then it's been 13.9% at AA. So I guess the power numbers haven't been through the roof. Um, You know, there's still time, but it's good to see that he's kept that down because if he was a a higher K percentage first baseman, it's a lot tougher for that to play, uh, especially in the, the game that we're seeing now. Um, what have you seen from Jordan and then uh, Banasi as well? Yeah, so Jordan has some of the easiest power that you'll see, and he probably hit the longest home run I've ever seen in person. If if you've seen Floor Field in Greenville, it has the the green monster to kind of imitate Fenway. And there's also a massive apartment building behind it. I don't know exactly how many stories it is, but I've never seen anybody put it on top of the apartments, and Jordan <laughs> did that last year. I mean. It was a mammoth home run, and you can find that. Like, it's out there on Twitter. I was at that game. I've got some – I don't have the shot of it going on the roof because I had my stationary camera set up, but dude has massive power. The interesting thing is that he's really aggressive, but he makes a lot of contact. And the the more interesting thing is his contact rate's actually improved in double A, which I – the numbers don't tell you that. Like, if you just look at the box score numbers, it doesn't say that at all. But, I mean, he ran a 77% contact rate in Greenville this year, and that's jumped to 80% in AA, even though the results don't look as good. 
Right. He's still been making a ton of contact, which is encouraging. And so if you can blend all this together, then I certainly think that there's a case where this could be a, a really solid major league bat. He is young. He struggles with fastballs, and I saw that a lot. He actually uh, he quote tweeted a scouting report I put out about him for Sox prospects, and and told me to keep fuel in his fire because I talked. Oh to him. man, and I, I, yeah, and I I talked to a lot of positive. I mean, there's a lot of positives in there, but I did talk about the struggles with fastballs. Very late on 94, 95, that did improve. I will say the numbers improved this year. That was last year. He was 19 years old in high A. I mean, this is a young hitter, so. You know, there was a lot of positives to take away, but he didn't like that one thing that I wrote about. I mean, he dug and found it at 2 in the morning. I don't know why he was up at 2 in the morning. He quote tweeted it. <laughs> He's notoriously sensitive, though. I mean, yeah. like, that's that's a guy who has rabbit ears. We, we've we uh, heard that from the Sox prospects guys for yeah. a while. I was, I was really concerned. Earlier this year, I really thought that his family – I had to literally look up his family because these people behind me kept – they're like, we love Blaze Jordan. You want to tell us a little bit about him? Like – you know, he's like, and they just kept like hyping him up. They knew, they knew all these things. Like, we love just the backwoods Mississippi boy. And I was You're like, like, he's slow on the fastball. And I was like, oh crap. Like, maybe I shouldn't, I, I shouldn't say everything. Like, so I was talking about him. I'm like, oh, he's a good hitter. And so, like, I literally, after the game, like, looked up. I was like, Blaze Jordan parents. And luckily, it was, I really thought it was his parents. I'm like, gosh, these people are trying to set me up to like, just like dog on me. So I wasn't going to say anything bad about him at all. But there's a lot of positives to Blaze Jordan. And like you said, the fact that the contact rates improved in AA is huge for him. Like, I just want to see him get around on fastballs more. Like, that's my only knock on him. And I want to see him, you know, walk a little bit more. He's hyper-aggressive. What I've seen is him get five fastballs to start in a bat. He's fouling a lot of them off. He's he's laid on them. Like, he's fouling them off to opposite field. And then they're dropping in the slider and striking them out. Like, they're throwing a slider in the dirt, and he swings at it. So that's what I've seen. There's a lot of positives with Blaze Jordan. But I do think, again, we're talking about a young player. He still has a lot of growth and, and room for growth. So there's a lot of potential here. I don't think he's a third baseman by any means. He's not a third baseman at all, which brings up an interesting case. Then if he does make it, what do you do with Costas and him? And I don't know, which will be right. interesting, but he's not a third baseman. I know they well, they're still him playing there. him there a lot, you know? I know. It, I he's know. played 15 times there since being called up to double A, 35 yeah. while he was at Greenville. So that was going to be my follow-up question. Yeah. Because of the size, I mean, it sounded all along like they didn't think, our scouts didn't think that he could hang at that position. So it's still the case. Yeah, I, I don't, I think he could be fine at first. I've seen him at first. I think he's fine at first. I think he's below average at third, honestly. The arm, I've seen some inconsistent, a lot of overthrows, like to first. Like, I don't know. I'm not comfortable saying he's a third baseman, honestly. Sure. Anything on uh, uh, Bonacy? Yeah, Brainerd Bonacy's awesome, man. He's a, he's a really fun player. He's smooth as shortstop as Marcelo Meyer is. Like, he plays the position really well. He's got a cannon of an arm, and sometimes his arm is too strong. Like, he makes throws. I'm like, holy cow, like. He may have one of the better arms in the system, just from what I've seen. Like, up, I mean, just incredible arm over there. And so it'll be interesting to see where he lands just because the amount of infielders that they have. And, you know, we've seen the versatility. He even played a game in left field, which was kind of wild in Greenville. But we've seen most of his time at shortstop, especially after Marcelo Meyer went up to double A. But when he was there, uh, he was playing second. He was playing third. He's kind of bouncing all over, and I think that that's what you're looking at. He's capable of playing all over the field and performing at a high level. I think he's an infield. I do think he's a versatile, utility-type infield bat. 
And I think that there's good contact here. And I think that there's underrated power in the profile as well. He's smaller, but he does a lot of damage with the bat. Definitely better from the left side. Like we, I've seen that, like he's a switch hitter, but certainly better from the left side. But the glove is what's most impressive here. I do think that that gives him such a high floor to make the majors that if the bat develops, then yeah, we're talking about a really solid player. And he's just turned 21, like not long ago. So he's spent most of the years a 20 year old and did some highly impressive things. I think Bonacy is pretty underrated in the system and, and does a lot of things well. I think it's a great point you bring up with where is he going to play? Because if you look at the at the major league team right now with with Trevor Story and sure, I mean Devers numbers might be uh, or uh, days might be numbered at third, um, but between Marcelo Meyer and Nick York and uh, Bonacy and Mikey Romero and, you know, Midroth and Valdez. And this, there's just the, it goes on and on with how many middle infielders that they've had. And it'll be interesting to see. I wonder if a couple of those might be potential trade possibilities in the off season. And, you know, we'll, we'll talk about the 40 man crunch and everything else in a month or so. It's not really for you to answer, but it is interesting just how many, uh, you know, guys are there. And then you mentioned Jordan as well. You know, Costas is going to be manning first base for, the foreseeable future. So um, I don't know. We'll see if High and Bloom will ever make a trade of one of their his top twenty prospects to help out the major league team. But it's another story for another day. Hopefully, he's gone by then. <laughs> oh, we went we went over an hour without talking about him, Jake. <laughs> I had to um, break the streak. I guess kind of my last question is with Greenville they. It's interesting because they won the first half, and the way that the minor league playoffs work now is that whichever team wins the first half of the season will go up against the team that won in the second half of the season, unless it's the same team, and then they'll pick the second place team in the second half. But Greenville went 27-39 and 39 in the second half. Um, I mean, I would guess that there's just so much turnover from the beginning of the year. To the latter part of the year, they're facing the Hickory Crawdads, who are the second-half champs, and that's this week. Uh, do you give them any chance to move on, or do you think they kind of a lot of their talent has moved up to double-A? Well, with the loss of Till and Anthony, it, it certainly hurts. And I think that with the pitching, and Hickory's pitching is pretty good too. Hickory's got a couple solid guys. But if you go, I mean, you've got Perales. You've got, and that's a nice thing, it's a three-game set, best of three. So, you can potentially piggyback like uh, Monegro and Noah Song. Like you could do that, which would be fun interesting. or interesting. I, I don't know what they'll do. I haven't heard um, from their uh, media guy yet who's who's lined up when. I'll they're at Hickory tomorrow at home Thursday and potentially Friday. So hopefully I may text them tomorrow see see what they're lining up as. But uh, it it'll be interesting. The bats aren't there anymore. So Hickory has Sebastian Walcott up there now. They've got some fun bats. So. It all comes down to pitching, I think, and the drive have the pitching. But like you said, they've kind of slumped in the second half for good reason because they've pushed – the Red Sox have been aggressive in the promotion. So with the turnover, that's why they do that like they do at the lower levels where first-half winner plays the second-half winner because, yeah, that's the thing. Like, you know, it's – the teams are totally different. So right. Greenville's team's not the same team it was in the first half, but this is still a fun team. The pitchers are fun, and I've been really fortunate to see a lot of uh, really good players. And it's it's just unfortunate that, especially like Mikey Romero, 
got hurt so quick after he came up, like with the the back stuff, like done for the year. But uh, Cutter Coffee's been interesting. Like he's been fun to watch, and they've been so aggressive. Like Christian Campbell won their drafties this year. I think it's pretty interesting. Dude makes a ton of contact, even though he's got really funky uh, stance. He's got like a weird hitch, but he makes it work. Like he he's the only player in college baseball last year that ran a zone contact of ninety percent and had an average EV of ninety percent, which which is crazy. But wow. uh, certainly that ticks back with wood bats. But uh, but still, it's kind of a fun stat that I, I think he's kind of a little bit underrated. Where he's He'll be fun. So he hadn't been getting everyday playing time. I think he probably will now with the promotions. So we'll see him play a, a bit more. But, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's 50-50 what they do in the playoffs just because of all the promotions. Sure. Well, this was great, Chris. I mean, I don't think anybody is getting the live looks that you are down at Greenville. So uh, we appreciate you jumping on. And thank you for clarifying that you're not a Red Sox fan. And, uh, <laughs> You know that, but this was great. Just a wealth of information. Um, you can follow Chris at Roto Clegg. Do you want to just one more time, kind of uh, promote the areas that you're writing and your website and the and how to subscribe if people are interested? Yeah. So the DynastyDugout.com features pretty much all my work. You can find some of the work at Sox Prospects. Post pretty much everything to Twitter as well at Roto Clegg C L E G G. So got content for everybody for for prospect people, fantasy people, even card collection. I think there's a market for card people with the prospect side too. So, you know, yeah. I try to provide a little bit of everything. But, yeah, you can find everything on Twitter. The links to subscribe are on the Twitter as well. And uh, certainly worth checking out if you're interested. I've, I've got a lot of Sox content. I've got some a lot of Sox scouting reports on my site as well, just from I see them the most. So, um, yeah, it's a fun system for sure. That's great. Well, I highly recommend it to any of our listeners. Um, you can find Jake at DevJake. You can find me at BobOsgood15 on Twitter. And we will be back next week with the Red Seat.